This is Discussions on the Firewater Network, where we talk to those crafting the future of the spirits industry. And now, here's your host. This is Zachary Farley. I'm here today with James Bagford and Sean Measle of Flat Rock Spirits. Thank you so much for joining me today, guys. Hey, thanks for coming out, Zach. I appreciate your time. So as I was walking around your factory and I, uh, or your, your distillery and looking at um, all the product you guys are making, you know, it just makes me think of one question, really. I had a chance to talk to you. Not everyone who listens to this will have a chance to talk to you. So just tell me about your distillery. What does the world need to know about the Flat Rock Distillery? What's the one thing you guys really want people to know about you? Well, we want people to know. This, this is Sean. Oh, yeah, I'm sorry. This is Sean Measle. We want people to know that quality is our hallmark. We were craftsmen in our past, and we carry those same skills through to our product line, and we take pride in it. And we think that people will like them when they try them. Yeah, that, that past of yours really does uh, show through just on the layout of your factory and how it all looks. Um, talk a little bit about where you guys came from before you decided to enter the distillery world. And, and how that's kind of impacted what you guys are doing now. My father started a rigging company in the 80s that serviced the auto industry um, regionally, a couple states in circumference. And we serviced them in an industrial fashion. So we got to see firsthand that side of our region. I and mean, our region is known for its industrial base. Large, long history of auto workers out here. And, and other industrial? Absolutely. And all the feeder plants, the machine shops, and the support. You think of the large corporations, but in, in reality, it's a lot of small businesses that feed into that, that big machine. And so you guys worked in that. Uh, it kind of gave you a background in how to operate heavy machinery and how to get factories up and running. And I think that really comes through with just the way that your work site yeah, is, yeah. is laid out here. James, tell me about the products you guys make here. What does Flat Rock produce? Right now we're doing a straight bourbon. It's been aged for two years in 15-gallon barrels. That's a weeded bourbon. We also have five flavors of moonshine that are all 70 proof. Those are apple pie, peach cobbler, cinnamon, margarita, and key lime. We also have a traditional unflavored moonshine at 104.7 proof. Whoa. Um, we got our silver rum that we just bottled last week. And we'll eventually have a spiced rum and a bourbon barrel aged rum. Well, very nice. And you guys do your moonshine a little bit differently, you were telling me. Let me know what that is. You're not just doing straight white dog out of your bourbon still. You guys are actually changed up the formula just a little bit. If you guys are comfortable sharing that, what is it about your moonshine that makes it different? Um, as opposed to just being our white dog bourbon, it's actually... Um, 50% corn and 50% cane sugar. And it's um, a lot easier process than cooking all the grains for the bourbon. And we're using the sugar so we don't have to cook down the corn. The corn's just more in there for flavor. We're getting all our fermentable sugar from the cane sugar. So it's a easier, quicker process. Very cool. And, but you still get that nice corn flavor out of it because it is there. It's not just pure sugar that's doing it. Absolutely. Yeah. The uh, traditional aspect of it is that during the history of Prohibition, the Dust Bowl occurred and corn was at a premium price. So a lot of the moonshiners reduced the amount of corn and as feedstock for their yeast and they, they transitioned to sugar, it was readily available. There wasn't a Dust Bowl in you know the Caribbean where the sugar source was. So it's a traditional historical style of moonshine. Oh, okay. So yeah, so it's not just different. It, it actually, yeah, you guys are bringing back a very historical kind of recipe. Sort of, yeah. yeah. 
Very cool. So why did you guys decide to open up a distillery then? So you, you, you have this industrial background, you uh, were working for your father's company, the auto workers were all here, the auto shops and the ancillary companies. What made you wake up one day and decide, I want to make bourbon? It was a survival instinct. We were servicing the industry in town and we were doing very well because of the downsizing of the corporations and the factories. They were moving their equipment, cleaning it, and we were doing this for them. And, and it was being loaded on overseas shipping containers to go to other, other industrial places. So we saw that the, the niche that we were servicing was a reducing in such a way that we knew that our time was limited. Gotcha. So we began to plan. You're literally sending your own work away. You, you, you could see it going. Yeah. Uh, yeah, absolutely. So we decided uh, we needed to either transition to another location, which we didn't want to do. We have roots here in this, this community. And the other option was to transition into a different industry altogether. So we did research and we realized that the skill set that we have from industry uh, correlates well with the distilling industry. All we needed was to get the expertise that we didn't have, and it's readily available. Yeah, talk about that a little bit. Where did you go to learn that? We uh, started out by joining the American Distilling Institute, followed their forums, posted a lot of stuff on there, got a lot of questions answered, and just basically read everything else that everybody else was asking and posting to start out with. And then Brad and Sean went to the uh, their conference in Louisville in 2010, learned a lot there, met a lot of cool people, got some future contacts, and started taking other workshops offered by the ADI and other distilleries that they were associated with. We usually found out about them on that site, but went to four or five of those at different small distilleries and just other events that they put on, anything where we could learn, learn about that. And we also hired some good consultants to come in and help us after we initially got our license. So it was a little bit of everything. Then you took some courses, you reached out to people in the industry, and then for the technical things that you couldn't quite learn on your own in a classroom, you reached out to some consultants. And Absolutely. Yeah. And they were a big help. And one thing I've heard from people is that other people in the industry who have been doing it for a while really are open to speaking to people who are interested in getting into the business and they're willing to talk to you and, and offer some help. Has that been your experience also, would you say? Yeah, absolutely. Everybody's been been real helpful. You know, people we'd never even met before, just talking to them on the ADI forum, they'll pretty much tell you anything you want to know, as long as it's, you know, not top secret. Yeah. <laughs> I think that they all look at it as a rising tide raises all ships. Okay. They, they want the industry to stand out, and the growth in the small distilling industry is universally good. Mm -hmm. I guess they don't look at it as competition yeah. as much as you know options in the, okay. the marketplace. So they get another operation going, then people all of a sudden are looking for craft, and that helps them. Yeah, and they also want to help you so that you're not a bad craft distillery, giving other craft distilleries a bad name. So they want everybody to be at a high level. So gotcha. that's, well, I think that's I a very think one reason point. they're willing to help. Oh, very interesting. So what would you say, what was your biggest challenge then in getting this up and running? So you guys learn all the skills, then starts the whole TTB process, I assume, the, the, the forms, the paperwork. And yeah, I basically filled out all those forms. Really? Um, and that was, that was fun. That was the first time I ever got to do anything uh, that intense uh -huh. paperwork-wise. I was the office manager at Pyramid Rigger, so I was oh. used to doing normal office paperwork, certain reports, nothing as in-depth as that, though. The hardest part of that was actually having to have the distillery set up. Because you actually need the distillery set up. Yeah, you have the... to have all your equipment purchased. You have to have everything in place. You have to have layouts, everything. And it has to physically be there. So we had to do that first. It's a huge capital. 
capital investment to get all <laughs> you get it all set up. And then you say, hey, can I turn it on? <laughs> Is that absolutely? Okay? Yep. yep. Did you hire a consultant to help you with any of that, or was that no, just something you figured was, out um, on your own? Basically, figured it out on my own. The TTB was helpful. Yeah. Um, if I had a question, I could always call them and ask, and they were they were good about giving oh, good. an answer. They helped me help me with a lot of them, mm-hmm. and a lot of it's you know pretty self explanatory. Yeah. Oh, cool. So you guys just recently opened to the public, but you've been producing since 2010. Is um, it? We uh, we got our DSP in November 2011. We started doing our large batches of bourbon in uh, January. Then it actually started going into barrels in March. Released it in April of this year. Okay. We started developing rum back then, and kind of did that for a while, and weren't totally happy with it. So we put that off, started doing the moonshine. That took a while to get all that fully developed. We were happy with it right off the bat with our recipe. But since we did all them flavored products, those are really what took the time developing those those flavor profiles. We'd mix up one batch and not be totally happy with it, have to change something and do that over and over again. And who is your test kitchen? You know, who did you bring in to help you with your taste testing? Is it just the three of you that work here, or that that run the distillery, or did um, you? Yeah, for those moonshines, it was it was us. When we taste bourbon from the barrels, we like to invite other people in to get a little <laughs> bit of input on that, just because it's fun. I imagine it's pretty easy to find people who are willing. Oh, to- <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. So Ohio is kind of a unique state. The state itself operates all of the. Uh, the liquor stores and they they manage the warehousing of it all. What kind of challenges does that give to you on the marketing side? You know, how can you guys go out there and promote your product considering the state is in the driver's seat so much about what gets on the shelves and, and where it's placed on the shelves? Well, what is kind of your marketing strategy? Well, originally when those products got listed, you go in and you meet with the state and you give them your marketing pitch for everything. And they're real they're real good about putting in all the local products, getting them on the shelves, at least, you know, in a few number of stores to start out with. If you're selling in those stores, they'll start carrying it in other stores if they request it. So we'll basically go out to other liquor stores in the area, tell them about our products, go out to the bars that buy from those liquor stores because every bar restaurant has a designated liquor store that they have to oh, purchase really? from. Oh, I didn't realize that's how that works here. Yep, Even the bars themselves have their own liquor stores. Yep, yep, they have to have to buy from their assigned state agency. So we'll go out to the different bars, get them interested in it, then they'll ask the state store uh, okay. for it, and then the state store can order it from the state. So it's a lot of shoe leather on your guys' part, though, Absolutely. going out there and introducing yourselves. and Yeah, that's pretty much full-time job. Yeah. <laughs> And then who here handles that? Uh, among That's uh, Sean and Brad. Sean and Brad do that. Yep. So kind of turning to more specific things about your distillery, how did you come up with the name Flat Rock Spirits and the label that, it, that your spirits are actually bottled under, which is uh, still right? Where, where did that come from? The first Flat Rock Spirits. My father owned a small business. It was a family-run business. All the family members were in the business. And um, at different points in time, some of the members left the business to go other places. One of the places was my brother wanted to move to a farm that my dad had bought in Adams County, Ohio. Mm -hmm. It's the most rural county in the state. No industrial base other than logging. And my father said, you just can't go down to the farm and just clear off a flat rock and live there. And so the farm down in Adams County got the name Flat Rock. Oh, um, And we we still call it that. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, that was our name when we did our paperwork for the state and the federal government. We received our DSP under that name. And then we found that there was a 
a wine producer in California that had trademark on Flat Rock wine. Oh no! Okay, and it, and it was in the same category for the trademark department, even though it was completely different beverage. It was still protected. So we had to transition, and then we came up with still rights, and it's kind of a morphed word. My brother and I are third generation union millwrights. We went through an education process and, a, and an apprenticeship, and we came out on the other side with a skill set. And the skill set that we had was millwriting service. But then when our millwriting skills were useless in the industrial base, we started this and, and we, we built our still with those same skills, the fabrication stills. That's me. So you, you were kind of telling me off air about that. You guys literally, I mean, this has been a community project. You get your grain from the community or from the, the surrounding areas. Is that correct? Uh, as most we can. As much as you yeah, can. To yeah, to an extent. We, we do get some. Our corn comes from southern Indiana. We started out with okay. local, local corn. We had trouble getting a nice, clean, food-grade corn. It was more more of the guys around here were growing for hog feed and mm-hmm. things like that. So we were having issues cleaning that, so it's just became easier to get it from them. It, it's nice and clean, and it's still local it's enough. Still it's still pretty clean. Yeah, yeah, within an hour. Okay. Uh, yeah, so so your grain is from a local area, and, and you literally use local artisans to hand make your still. You didn't place an order from, a, you know, you still didn't come from China, didn't come from Germany, didn't even come from Louisville. It came from... <laughs> well, you know, it's funny you say that. One of the sections of our still is a, a, an expansion area, kind of like an onion okay. on a still. Ours is two cones that are inverted and bolted together. Those two cones, actually, there's three of those cone expansion cones. Those did come from Germany. Oh, really? They, okay. We installed this machine that came from Stuttgart in a, a local factory, and we handed over the machine once it was functioning correctly to the maintenance department and handed them the maintenance log, which was bigger than a Hemingway novel. Oh, really? <laughs> and it was very, very German. And I hand it to the uh, American maintenance supervisor, and he throws it in the corner like it's useless garbage. And, and yeah. within short order, the machine didn't function correctly. And then we took the machine out, and promptly they, they said, give us a price to destroy it and get it off our property. So <laughs> really? we, we utilized as much of the pumps, stainless steel. It, it was all... St- 316 stainless steel is very high grade materials. So, kind of, it it was a recycling job. A recycling job. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That's really amazing. So, I guess now that you guys have been up and running and and you have products on the shelf and you have items, you know, and and you're bottling, you're developing new product lines, moving into rums. So far, what's been your most, what's, what's been your proudest? moment as a distiller since you've, you know, what's been the aha moment? You're still young, but I understand. But what, yeah, so far, what has been that big moment for you? I would say it was um, sending our, we sent six, our six moonshines off to the American Distilling Institute back in April. They have a yearly conference and they do a spirits judging every year. So those were our, basically our experimental batches, our very first batches before we got on our big still. Didn't really have high expectations for those, but we sent them off anyway, see what happened. So we ended up winning uh, gold best in class for the moonshine category with our key lime pie moonshine. We got a silver medal in the flavored moonshine category with the margarita, a bronze uh, with the peach cobbler in the flavored category, and a bronze with the apple pie in the apple pie category. So the cinnamon and the traditional didn't get anything, but we were we were really happy and surprised. That yeah. That we won four medals, including best in class for so not for bad all the for a first try. Huh? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> we were we were definitely excited. Oh, that's awesome. 
A similar occurrence just happened with our bourbon. Uh, we entered it in this San Diego Spirits competition. Oh, really? Oh, and okay. we got a, a bronze medal for that. Just found that out last week. Whoa. And it was batch one. And again, that was our first batch moving up from a small batch to a, a large production volume. And, and it was completely different yeah in every way from when it where it started as a small batch to then absolutely yeah. uh, the the larger the volume it just reacts differently yeah. I mean uh in, in every every facet so I guess I, I let me ask that do you ever have any of those like oh my god moments where it's you know we're about ready to make yeah probably 600 every, barrels every of this or whatever yeah okay <laughs> yeah <laughs> hope this works yeah. yeah James follows me around and cleans up a lot of my oh no moments yeah <laughs> So looking back so far, it's kind of the, what do you, you know, I just want to know, what do you wish you knew then what you know now? You know, what do you wish one person had told you that you get before you got into it that you've realized now? What's that one bit of wisdom that, that you've learned? Uh, you know, you, you, you guys prepared as much as you could. You took as many classes as you could. But sometimes you just, you know, you didn't, you didn't know to expect X or... Yeah, I think it was uh, not having a product available for the first two years was our our biggest problem. It would have been would have been really nice if we would have planned that out a little better. Started out with an unaged product to start with, but all we knew is we wanted to make bourbon. We we're all bourbon drinkers. We all like bourbon, so that was the first thing we wanted to do. So we figured, hey, we'll go with the bourbon to start with. Bourbon takes time. Yeah, absolutely. But it it really would have been nice to have uh, to started with with something unaged as well, just to to get a little money coming in. And uh, knowing how hard it was going to be to get the flavored moonshines all totally developed would have been a nice thing to know. We went in and like I said, we did all the experiments with those. We tried different amounts of flavoring in them, um, came up with what we liked. Then we found out that some of the flavorings that we had hadn't been approved by the TTB at that point. Oh, really? So we had to wait two to three more months on some of them products to get the flavoring approved before we could submit our formula. Then it takes two or three months to get your formula approved. Then you get your formula back and you got to get your label approved. And that can take two to three months, depending on what you run into. Mm-hmm. So that that was uh, would have been nice to know how big of a challenge that was going to be. Because who thinks the flavoring? I mean, you guys are yeah. so focused on your own product and what you're putting together, you don't even think about them. Yep. So that's an interesting point. Yeah, and we actually had one product that they couldn't get the formula or their flavoring approved. So we kind of had to totally switch that one up. Okay. Which just goes back to testing. Then you got to redevelop your your own formula. (laughs) Yeah. What we ended up doing on that one was tasting it without those two ingredients. And it it was still very good at the ratios that we had, uh, that we had used with the other unapproved ingredients. So I really still think that the product would be better with those ingredients in. And that's another thing we may do in the future is, is to get those those two ingredients in that aren't approved once they become approved uh i'd love to try that again yeah another thing that's really been challenging is uh just the dealing with the state in general they're helpful um it's just there's a lot of a lot of hoops to jump through and and the Um, law was just recently changed in ohio wasn't it so you probably are running into a lot of people who have never even yeah dealt with your kind of permits before and yeah, the uh, permit that we have now is called an A3A permit, and that allows us to sell two bottles uh, per person per day from our tasting room. It also allows us to sell four quarter ounce samples per person. Up until a year, year and a half ago, that wasn't available. Or that was only available to three counties in the state of Ohio. Um, you had to be in a county with a population of eight hundred thousand people. That was 
Hamilton, Cuyahoga, and Franklin, which is where Cincinnati, Cleveland, and Columbus are all at. Okay, we're out. We're here out right outside of Dayton, so not one of those counties. Yeah, not yet. a not a huge county. Mm-hmm. When we first got our license, we didn't have the ability to have that A three A permit. Mm-hmm. We didn't have product ready to sell at that point, so it didn't really matter. Okay. But we didn't even plan on having a sales tasting room when we originally started this oh, really? place because it wasn't an option. Mm, okay. uh, so then that law changed, and which was good for us. We want to be able to sell from here, let people come in and see how we do everything and taste the products. But yeah, since all that just recently went into effect, there's not a whole lot of systems put in place for all that. So they're kind of still working all that out, the state is. Yeah, they're learning right well. You yeah, guys learning are with us. Yeah. So I guess uh, now, now that you guys produce your own bourbons and your own alcohols, um, how has it changed the way you go into restaurants or bars and what you order? Just curious, now that you're kind of inside that industry... Yeah, if I'm if I'm drinking a spirit, it, it will. But uh, truthfully, yep. I, I'm more of a craft beer drinker. Okay. Um, I like drinking bourbon too. But just some people have told me if this bar doesn't sell my vodka, then I won't. You know, they don't give me their business. I'm not going to give them their business. Oh I'm not no, saying, that's not a normal. Do that. con- you know, I mean, nah. that's not a regular thing I hear. But just wondering if. Yeah, and I, I mean, I do like to support the other local businesses. Mm-hmm. You know, if I see their products out, I like to try all the stuff that that they put out. There's a few places in Columbus. There's a couple other around here that put out some products. So if I see them out in a bar, I'll give them a try. Absolutely. Very cool. Just one last question. What's one cocktail recipe you think everyone should test your product in? You know, what do you think really exhibits the flavor of what you guys produce here? If people were to go and buy one bottle and, and make one thing out of it, you know, you can say on the rocks. A lot of people like to say that. Or is there a one mixed drink that you think people should go out and really that, that really shows off what you guys are making? For me, I'd just say try the bourbon yep. straight. Neat. Okay. That's how I like my bourbon. Mm-hmm. Margarita is really good. Just throw it in the freezer. Really? Let it get nice and cool. I got some salt shot glasses that are actually made out of salt. Whoa. It's nice. awesome. <laughs> Chill, dump, dump that in there, yeah. let it sit for about <laughs> yeah. 10 seconds. You got to drink it quick because it'll get too salty. Okay. Key lime pie is good with making like a shooter. Mm-hmm. Um, put a little graham cracker crust on your glass. Oh, uh, kind of like a salted rim, whipped but cream. cream. Yeah, exactly. Top of some whipped cream. Wow. Yep, that's like a nice little key lime pie shooter. Oh, awesome. Okay, so where can people find your products then? Uh, where Where are you guys right now? They can come in here in the, the distillery and buy two bottles per person. Okay, where, what's your address? Where are we? We at? are in uh, Fairborn, Ohio, which is about 10 minutes outside of Dayton. Mm-hmm. Um, our address is 5380 Interstate Drive. And we're just, we're outside of Fairborn, so we're not really in town. We're just kind of outside the city limits, tucked back in a little industrial complex. Okay. So it's kind of hard to find, but look it up on the map. You'll be able to get here. And we're we're also, uh, say we're in about 20 state stores in the area right now. Some of them have all of our products. Some of them have a few assorted products. We're in uh, five stores in Toledo right now as well. Cool. Well, guys, thank you so much for your time. Uh, I really appreciate it. I know that uh, you have so much to do around here, so I'll let you go. Thank you. Great. Thanks, Zach. Thank you, Zach.